Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. Today, uh, we are here with Dean Preston, uh, a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors representing District 5. It is really great to have you here, Dean. Um, like we were talking, it's been a long time in the coming. Um, you know, I'm not that far from the Bay Area, so, so thank you so much. You are a, uh, the first Democratic Socialist elected member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in over 40 years. You're a tenants rights attorney and God knows we need that during this pandemic. Uh, you know, you're leading the affordable housing uh, advocacy here in the state of California, which as you know, we're in affordable housing crisis. Uh, you spent 20 years of your life doing this. Uh, so, so again, thank you. I'm very elated to have you on the show. Your introduction, I can't do it justice, but I'm sure this interview will. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm excited. I know it took us. You know, we were talking before the before we got going just about the uh, the calendar and demands of uh, you know being an elected office. But it's uh, it's this is the fun part. So I'm glad to be on. Exactly. Well, yeah. No. Let's let's get into these questions. Uh, just for our viewers, starting off, uh, you know, talk about what you've done as a tenants' rights activist, lawyer, and and some of your accomplishments as a supervisor. Um, and, and kind of following that, you know, I'm, I'm an aspiring, I'm a senior in high school. Uh, so, so touch on your, your college experience, how that prepared you for your, for your current responsibilities. Sure. And, and let me just start by saying, I think it's amazing as a high school senior that you are doing this, launching this and having this kind of discussions with folks around civic engagement and the importance of civic engagement. It's, it's uh, a lot of folks take it for granted. Yeah. Um, and we've seen certainly in recent years with, you know, every through the Trump years and, and getting out of those years, just like how important it is to not take that stuff for granted and just the, the ongoing fight and all the efforts to, to beat back all this voter suppression and uh, things that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, my, my background, I mean, as you mentioned, 20 years um, representing tenants, um, fighting against evictions, trying to hold big slumlords accountable. And I ran a statewide tenant rights organization, Tenants Together, right. um, that was really the first coalition um, you know, in, in many decades uh, to try to do um, tenant rights work at the state level and to unite all these folks in local tenant organizing groups and tenants unions and others fighting for rent control, fighting against evictions, uh, fighting for repairs in their homes, fighting against uh, housing discrimination, sort of bring them all together from all over our huge state of California. Mm -hmm. um, and right when I started that organization, there was actually a ballot measure. A lot of people don't remember this. I mean, it's back a while now um, in 2008, but it, it would have abolished rent control wow. and eviction protections in the state of California. Like all of the protections that keep so many folks in San Francisco and Los Angeles and Berkeley and Oakland, you know, Santa Monica, it's like all the rent control cities, you know, those could have all been wiped out. And uh, the real estate industry went all in and the organization I had just formed worked with folks all over the state to fight against that. And we beat it at the polls and you know, reaffirming what we know, which is that rent control, as with a lot of other policies are really popular among voters. And if you get through uh, the, all the misinformation that's out there, 
uh, folks are willing to back those kind of policies. So I did that kind of work for 20 years, basically, uh, after, after law school and only more recently decided that I wanted to not just enforce all these laws and not right. just do all this outreach and not just organize people, but actually be in a position to be able to write some of these laws and change some exactly. of them. And um, run for office, I should say. Yeah. It's my yeah. one, you know, I'm really young. I can't even vote yet. Let me put that in perspective. I'm, I'll be voting my first election next year. The one thing I tell everybody I meet who has a passion for politics, run for office make your voice heard. So, so I commend you for doing that. It's, it's one of the greater steps people have to take to see the change happen. It, it, yeah, and it's really important that, that folks do run for office. Um, and it's often the people who think they're not going to. Exactly, right? because, exactly. Because you know, what I've found is there's a certain path that people have assumed you need to be on to run for office. You know, And historically in our country, that's like folks who are you know, they go become corporate lawyers, they become prosecutors. And so there's sort of this pathway, they go to, you know, these big Ivy League schools and like they, somehow this assumption that like those are the folks who should be in office. And that's changed recently and changing for the better. I mean, my background is like a 20 year tenant rights attorney um, running for office and bringing that experience. I got a different perspective uh, than most people, uh, you know, in government. And you see the same thing happening all over the country with folks who are everything from, you know, AOC running with, you know, her background, you know, and, and locally here in San Francisco, you see like public defenders running to be judges, you know, and again, 10, 20 years ago, nobody was thinking, oh, a bunch of public defenders are going to become judges. It just wasn't the path. And right. so I, I think getting, getting rid of those kind of uh, conceptions and stereotypes and and like around around who's supposed to be in office and just saying like hey you are an engaged person you care about the world you want to impact it you know you should consider running for office uh, and it's really exciting seeing so many so many uh, folks uh, who are who are doing that and and uh, you know you don't always win I mean I I lost my first race I ran in 2016 right you know, close race I lost uh, to the person who was supervisor of my district who's now the mayor. Uh, London Breed. London Breed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some thoughts about her later. Uh, <laughs> now I want, I want to just quickly follow up and ask what, what was the tick that made you run for office? Um, you know, what, it, what actually inspired you? You spent 20 years doing this job. You represented the people, the unions. Why run for office after that? For me, this was the, the, the process was this basically. I get out of law school once I started doing uh, tenant rights work, um, I'm out there mostly applying the law, right? I'm representing people in a court trying to stop an eviction right. uh, or trying to hold someone accountable. Uh, after seven years of that on housing work, I, I really wanted to be in more, I saw again and again that the folks writing the laws in Sacramento, right? Like they, that they weren't being pressured. Uh, to do the right thing. So I formed tenants together, worked with folks all over the state to push on those folks, right? To really push them to, uh, to do the right thing. And what I saw and found in, in Sacramento was a lot of these folks have absolutely no interest in doing the right thing, right? The fix is in, they get their money from the real estate industry. Like I, I would go to these offices lobbying these folks you know, I could have the per perfect case, like it made no difference, right? I could not get through. And I just, at a certain point, 
um, when you have that experience over and over again, you can either just kind of give up on it, or you can say, why don't we just replace these folks? You know, like these folks shouldn't be leading. They're, they're honestly, you know, and I, I'll just be, be real about it. I mean, they're, they're industry hacks. They're just like holding power to further the interests of, of folks who are doing really well with the status quo. Obviously there are exceptions. There's some great you know, political leaders out there, but I, I think the more I did this work and the more I saw people getting evicted from their homes, uh, getting treated just horribly because they'd lacked political power, uh, the more I realized that just pushing those in power to do the right thing wasn't enough, that we needed folks who are rooted in movements actually running for and winning office. And in San Francisco, it was housing, right? I mean, it's housing, housing. It's housing. still housing. It's housing. It's housing in the valley as well. It's it's housing actually is one of the most divisive issues I even see within progressives. We are divided. Yeah. Um, but but you know we could spend I could spend hours talking about housing. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you can too. Well, I mean, one thing that relates though very much to like I know your one of your big issues of focus around around voting voting rights. Um, that that is not talked about a lot is is the um, relationship between stable housing and the voting base, right? And one of the problems is that we have a society, you know, where where people who don't own are so vulnerable to displacement, right? And and, and that the the ongoing displacement and folks moving from city to city or out of one home and into another or becoming homeless impacts that voting base right uh, and so the the lack of housing security is so closely related to like who votes in a community and when you set up the rules so that people don't have protections they could be kicked out of their homes you know they're not going to be the core voting base in the same way as the folks who own the property and are, are, are there for as long as they want to be there and let their political voice be heard. So it's, it's one of the challenges of organizing and empowering renters. And one of the big things is making sure when someone moves to a new place that they register to vote and vote and, you know, and, and, and turn out. You know, right. at every election. Yeah, I could tell you're smart. You kind of lit up when I brought when I brought, yeah. up, brought up housing. And let me tell you, the reason I got involved locally, you know, much like yourself, getting into the nitty gritty. The reason I got involved, I was like 15, right? I started attending city council meetings and board of supervisors. Is I tracked the money, like you brought up. I tracked who was paying for whose campaign which real estate developers paying for that city council person. And then months later, after being reelected, they have a development, you know, on the docket that's going to construct X, Y, Z amount of luxury housing, you know, in my city. And so I saw it as pay to play corrupt politics. That was my entrance into the field. So I could very much relate to the fact that people in, in current leadership need to change. And it's those that you'd least expect it, the very engaged, maybe the youth, or maybe the tenants rights lawyer that needs to get involved. So, so I always, I always bring it back to that is my start in politics. Um, but I, I want to, I want to kind of switch on to it, to the subject that you and I are here to talk about, which is voting rights. Um, what are some lessons you learned from the year 2020? It's a very broad topic. Um, you know, once in a century pandemic, historic presidential elections, top to bottom, you know, what are your thoughts on the year 2020? Well, I think we're, we're in a really uh, difficult time in so many ways. Um, I think that one of the things that's changed 
for better and for worse, is a lot of the things that have been driving politics in this country are now out in the open. I, I think that you know the 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 white nationalist, white supremacist movement, you know that 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 Trump you know took from maybe out of the shadows and into you know so it was just so blatant about it um, has really you know emboldened right these these folks who are pretty clear on voter suppression. I mean they may talk about there's voter fraud out. I mean they know there's not. The massive voter fraud, and right. they and they they all know exactly what they're doing, and it's not new. Like the only difference is, you know, a mainstream pundits now can talk about it, right. uh, but it's but, just public. It's, it's just public, public. right? Yeah. I mean, the, everything from the poll taxes, and I mean, on through his, like this has been the white supremacist project uh, that that is, you know, that that has defined um white america you know for 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 a hell of a long time and and yeah what's different is that folks seem more open to talking about it and, and that they've become that much more brazen in their tactics right so they're running around now you know doing everything from recall elections to challenging you know right. legitimate votes that are cast like the 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 open disdain for the electoral process because it's not yielding the results they want, right? Um, you know, that's what's different now. Um, and, and, you know, and part of it is that I think they, you know, the Steve Bannons and Donald Trumps uh, and Steve Millers and these folks of the world uh, or of the country, uh, they see the writing on the wall and they know that right now in a fair election, they lose. Um, and so they're not wasting any time moving directly to really aggressive forms of voter suppression. And it's and it is, you know, the issue of our times. Right. Like whether whether we're going to have majority rule and, and a democratic country or or we're going to let these yeah, folks. Are, are we going to uh, pervert national elections and gu gubernatorial races? I mean, I was I was listening. Larry Elder was speculating voter fraud right before the election results came out i was like geez you know what is this it, it's oh man i could there's a lot of words there's a lot of emotions that come yeah yeah well yeah. look I, I mean we've seen it with the republicans in congress you see it with mitch mcconnell with this this total ends justifies the means uh approach right. and their ends are empowering big corporations yeah. uh and taking voting power away from people of color and keeping uh, their majority in the process that that that's right and, and keeping control or enough as mcconnell's shown right you don't even need a majority right i mean with the filibuster um you know they they even in a minority position uh are able to block uh, a lot of things and and you've got a democratic party that has been you know too often co-opted and unwilling to to really yeah. stand up to that and fight to win Exactly. And that old, even even within the Democratic Party, because there, there are those old, you know, kind of very establishment institutional figures that that are not willing to budge on their on their decision making. You know, we see that in the infrastructure bill and reconciliation happening right now. Uh, but, you know, it's, we're living in crazy times and we were last year. We will this year. And the midterms are going to be crazy as well. So. So good luck is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got it a little better in San Francisco at least. Yeah. Although, I mean, although world's we're not best city. I, I mean, come on, that's that's something. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. We don't have the same form like that Trumpism, that just blatant 
uh, racism like is 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 less prevalent here. Um, but it, but it's still, you know, we're facing some of the same dynamics. So if you look at like the campaign to recall our progressive district attorney, Chesa Boudin, like it, it is, and you look at the, the language used in that, I, I, you know, it's not that different than the right wing and it's funded by a lot of these same right wing interests. So uh, we're, not, we're not free of it in our more progressive San Francisco uh, bubble. And I, and I do think, um, you know, calling that out is not popular. People in San Francisco believe in San Francisco exceptionalism, believe that, oh, these things that are happening with the right wing don't happen here because we don't vote for Trump, right? When right. you have a city that, you know, 90% of people are not supporting Trump, um, you tend to think, oh, well, that, you know, a lot of people think- It doesn't like, apply to me. It, it doesn't apply. Yeah. And it does. And it does. And if you Very look much. at how, if you look at how some of the more conservative San Franciscans, many of whom identify as Democrats, um, talk about homeless people, talk about uh, uh, criminal defendants, uh, talk, you know, talk about those who are trying to change racist systems within our city, uh, sometimes doesn't feel that uh, different or exceptional. Yeah, no. Um, like I like I say to most folks, um, national politics it's always in the mainstream media. You're always going to hear about it. It's it's what defines us as Americans, right? Is our national figures. But local politics, regional regional scenes where where your roads need to be built, or that light post needs to be fixed, or the tra the traffic needs to 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 work, and it's not too congested, and housing is readily available, and our criminal justice system is actually justly acting on part. Um, that all happens at the local level. I mean, that all happens when you vote for your mayor or your district attorney like Chesa Boudin or in a recall election by, you know, the, the conservative right wing. That all happens because you vote top to bottom. It's not either or. It's not a silver bullet. It's top to bottom. You need to be there. Um, and if you're not involved or if you want to be involved, please say something. I'd happily connect you with the supervisor <laughs> in San Francisco. Yeah, got to do it. Got to get involved, get involved in campaigns um, that, that move you. Um, but also just like when folks are at voting age, right? Like making sure um, not just generally to vote. I think there's a lot of messages that say vote, but it's also being a voter that votes in every election. Yes, not just, Yeah, because what happened, so I ran in a, my first, um, or my, my second race, first race I lost, 2016. Right. Uh, it was kind of a long shot race, surprisingly close, but but it lost that one. I ran again when the seat became open in 2019 in a special election, very right. low turnout, right? Off year, nothing go, you know, going on, low turnout. And then I, and then I had to run immediately after the Afterwards. next yeah, yeah, yeah. 2020 for re-election. That was a super high turnout one, right? Because that was, that was a presidential uh, election. And what you what you notice when you look at the numbers, right, is is there's this surge of voting in the presidential years. But to your point, so much happens between the presidential races that impacts people locally. Their their supervisors, their city council, their school boards, their DAs, you know, their their mayors, uh, assembly members, state senators, all that stuff. Um, but but if the presidential race isn't on there, there's so many people who, who just don't vote. And what's happening with the right-wing recalls right now is they're taking advantage of that because they know that when they do a recall election, even fewer people vote, right? The yeah. turnout is so low. It's a power That's grab. part of their strategy. Yeah, it's a power grab because Republicans knew 
that in in this off year, right before midterm, low turnout, they could get out their folks, they could take the majority because in a democratic state, fully blue, whether you're conservative blue, any different shade of blue, they know the, the state is gonna remain blue in a gubernatorial race. They know that for a fact, it's just a power grab. It's to see what they can do. And on that part, actually, I read a Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle article today, although I knew a little bit beforehand that there is a special election probably happening in San Francisco's assembly district. Uh, any any thoughts on that? I do have Matt Haney coming on the show very soon. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's so that vacancy is uh, you know now publicly announced. Although it's been like the worst kept secret. I know worst kept time. secret. <laughs> like, even I knew. I'm like 40 miles away. Yeah, I, I so I'm I am a big fan of of you know the two progressive folks you know running. I've worked with Matt Haney for the last year and a half. Um, and, and, you know, we've been on the same side of, you know, a lot of battles at city hall and I've worked with David Campos and known him for, for many years since he was supervisor. We were, I worked with him on legislation to stop eviction of teachers and a lot, and he did free muni for youth and just so many, so many things. So I've endorsed David Campos. Uh, you know, I, I've known him for a long time and really glad he's running. I supported him when he ran against David Chu originally for the seat and was narrowly uh, defeated. So hoping, hoping uh, that, that, uh, that he runs a, a strong campaign, but it's, it's, um, it, it's an important seat and it's important, you know, we were talking a little earlier just about the frustrations in Sacramento with, with a lot of these sort of industry linked kind of careerist politicians and, uh, and really important that the city have someone there that's going to unapologetically be fighting for people of San Francisco. And I, one of my, one of my political heroes and mentors was uh, Tom Amiano, you know, and Tom was, uh, was an assembly member and just really stood out there as like, you know, he'd be the one guy who, if the bill wasn't right, you know, he just, he'd cast a lone dissenting vote and wasn't afraid to do that, you know, uh, kind of like Barbara Lee on the Iraq war, you know, yeah, and it yeah, makes yeah, a difference. Yeah. And so I'm just, whether it's Haney. 20 years Cross, down the line too, who would have thought, yeah. you know, yeah. who would have thought. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen, you know, certainly seen both of them, you know, in action up close. And, you know, I think they'd, they'd, uh, they'd, they'd definitely, you know, represent that, that uh, part of our city really well. I'm not, I have to be nonpartisan, uh, so I can't share an official endorsement. Uh, but no, I, I know, I've known David Campos through his post at the Democratic Party. Um, I know that he works for Chase Boudin. Um, so, so no, it's, it's a, it's, it's going to be an interesting race. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's great. And, and I think uh, he also recently became vice chair of the Democratic Party. So I think has a lot of those state connections. So I've been happy to, to endorse, uh, endorse him and, and, you know, also in conversations with, with Haney uh, and, and continue working with him on a lot of things in the city. Of course, yeah. No, I'll send this to David afterwards. Be like, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> in any case, I actually want to divert back to you. Do you have any, you know, future plans to run for higher office? I mean, being a supervisor, yeah. I'm sure it's phenomenal. I really don't, you know, and I, I think I'm supposed to because I get asked that all the time. I mean, it's funny, you take office and like within, within you know, a couple months, people- They're like, are, where are you going next? Yeah, where are you going next? There's this assumption um, that, you know, that folks are, are, are kind of climbing that ladder. I am, I am, you know, very, I'm excited to be District 5 supervisor. There's a ton of stuff to do. 
in the district and a lot of things that I think have been neglected for years here. So uh, I've certainly been approached about, you know, as these different vacancies and everything come up uh, and I'm really not interested. Like I'm, just, you know, I'm only, I'm a year and a half into being an elected office and uh, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a ton I wanna do in the district and, and being a supervisor is great. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where I'm staying. And, you know, if the voters, voters have me, I got, you know, another another few years in this term, and if they want me back, another four years after that. Exactly, good man. Yeah, no, enjoy it, savor it. It's it's a very special thing to be in elected office, representing truly yourself. Nobody's bought you out. You're clean money. That's that's yep. something that's something to keep very dear. Um, now, I just want to close off on this last question. Uh, I ask it to everybody. Um, what do you recommend? What is your advice to the next generation, Gen Z? They call it. Totally arbitrary, by the way. Z, I don't even know where they got that from. I'm going to be honest. Like, it's like, oh, Gen Z. Yeah, here you go. Um, but how do we make an impact? Like, they're engaged youth like myself. They're very disengaged youth. They're ignorant youth. There are folks that are on, you know, social media. There are folks who care, folks who don't, but don't know what to do. You know, what is your advice to, to the upcoming, the graduating class, the new fleet of voters who are going to come and make the future decisions? I, I think just do stuff that you love doing and and go all in. You know, I don't think there's there's one formula for you know those who want to go into politics or those who want to go into to something else. Uh, you know, I think folks, what I've seen in in my too many years on the planet is like people <laughs> who like people make a difference in whatever they're doing i mean you know folks who are like artists and they just like go all in and they're incredible artists like they they, they if they are fighting for social justice like they lend their craft and they you know they do a mural that inspires thousands of people right like there's there's a way to have a huge impact on our society and our, our politics uh, way beyond just the act of like voting or working on, uh, you know, in, a, in, in politics or that kind of thing. I will say for those interested in politics, I would definitely recommend um, getting involved in campaigns. And I know you've done this. It's just, it's just like being a volunteer on a campaign or, or getting a paid position on campaign team. It's this, it's this exhilarating, like sprint, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's crazy, and the hours are crazy. But you meet. But what I've seen is the the friendships that form in those intense campaigns. That ends up being kind of a political family of folks uh, who stick together and continue working on stuff for years. And a lot of those folks end up after volunteering, then they're hired by campaigns, and they end up working either in government or campaigns. Like they're really, it's, it's not always the clearest path, but I think just getting out there, if you're inspired by a candidate or an issue, right? These ballot measures in California, you have the opportunity. Some people don't care as much about the candidates, but they care about like we did, you know, last year we did this huge tax on the wealthiest folks in San Francisco to fund social housing and rent relief. Like there are people who got super excited about that and worked on that and wanted to tax the rich, right? And they weren't as moved by individual candidates. And so it's like, whatever, whatever it is that you're excited about, just to like really go all in on that. And it's easier said than done, right? Because we all have all kinds of stresses and just things we need to do day to day. And sometimes it's hard to carve out uh, that extra time uh, yeah, to no. work on, 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 on 
campaigns or just or just uh, other passions. But yeah, just do what you love and do it really, really well. And you'll there, there's all there's a path if you want it to connecting that work you're doing um, and that or you know or that that thing you love to uh, to the, the causes that that you care about and that make a difference. Yeah, no, that's that's sound advice. Being on being on campaigns, I will say, is the most invigorating thing you could. Yeah. It really is. It just you just keep going. There's nonstop, always work. If if you ever go up to a campaigner and you say, I want to get involved, I promise you he'll give you hours and hours of work to do. There's no shortage of that. Uh, so so yes, please do get involved, if you will. Oh, and follow Dean Preston on Twitter. By the way, you gotta follow me back. Uh, I'm always All right. your stuff, but please follow Dean on Twitter. He's always posting amazing commentary on things going around locally and nationally. Uh, and he's a great resource. Hit him up if you want. I'll link his information in the description. Thank you. Thanks yeah, so no. much. Of course. Now, so no, thank you so much for coming on the show. I do got to send you on your merry way to legislate or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so, so thank you so much. You're always welcome back. Um, and, and let us know how it works out. Take care, you know, still COVID. Um, but no, no, do, do take care of yourself. Dean. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care. Peace.